You're listening to episode 277 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at the Netflix horror series, The Haunting of Hill House. And it's kind of Hill Houseian outside tonight, you know? Yeah, it's just awful. <laughs> I usually well, put my Christmas deck. Oh, well, is it is it not? Because it was before. Uh, no, it wasn't just now, but. Yeah, I mean, I used to do my Christmas decorations like the Saturday after Thanksgiving, but like we still have leaves on. Like every time I rake, the, the, it rains and more leaves fall. It's just really pissing me off. Ah, I hear you. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have too many trees that I need to actually rake, and the ones that I do, the rake, the leaves just blow somewhere else, and I don't know. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <Not> my problem. <laughs> All right, so if you want to send me an email about why I don't rake up my leaves, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com, and I'll ignore it if it's about the leaves. Uh, go to the if website, leave a voicemail. <laughs> yeah, leave voicemail tab, record your own audio clip if you'd like. Tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch or join the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. All right, just a little bit of news, and we mentioned last week that we – have a drop date for traveler season three which is friday december 14th and we mentioned last time that we are going to stop after episode seven of hill house and then address travelers one by one and then come back and finish haunting of hill house but what you and i realized when we looked at an actual calendar is that the second week of travelers falls on either december 23rd or 24th we've been recording either a sunday or a monday so we'll keep you guys posted on what's happening with that second episode of travelers and you know we might have to adjust our expectations because of the holiday but we'll see we'll see yep so all right you want to go first with your tip of the week yes i do i got a good one this week so I've been wanting to watch this for a while, or at least have been mildly interested in it for a while. Uh, finally went, took the plunge to watch the Amazon Prime series, Jack Ryan. Oh, okay. That's with, yeah. uh, what's his name from The Office, right? Yeah, John Krasinski. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who played Jim. Uh, but yeah, um, I, you know, so I actually kind of was reading some of the reviews beforehand and um, I don't know. I must've clicked on the bad reviews. Cause I just, the first thing I got was a bunch of people saying how terrible it was. And I was like, what? I, I thought this was supposed to be okay. So I, uh, it, it seemed like a lot of the people were very upset because they were kind of, you know, Tom Clancy purists and uh, you know, the, apparently the episode is not, I, from what I, I mean, I read a bunch of Tom Clancy books when I was younger, you know, um, but, you know, I probably stopped reading them somewhere in the mid 90s. So it's, you know, you know, I, so I, I do know like the character of, you know, official kind of backstory of Jack Ryan, but, you know, I was fine with this. I thought it was great. I thought John Krasinski was awesome. As you know, that's like the the good part about the character Jack Ryan is he's not like some amazing superhero. He's just kind of like a he's a very smart dude, but he's like an office guy who gets thrust in these situations. Um, 
that are you know very you know where he has to it's it's almost him needing to use his brain as much if not more than his uh than his brawn and everything um so anyway it's just i thought it was it was really really good uh you know it's only eight episodes watch the whole thing in two nights uh, yeah it was really really good so uh, i would say if you're uh, thinking about watching jack ryan uh unless i guess you're a you know purist uh i'd say go on ahead don't ignore what the haters have to say and go ahead and watch it's very enjoyable though i i guess there are other people i guess that i saw some criticism there where say how unrealistic it was and i was like well yeah at no point am i watching this thinking oh oh my god the gripping realism of this show it's amazing you know like i know it's not realistic i mean i don't i'm not in the military or i don't work in the state department but i know that the stuff that happens in here is kind of outlandish but that's tv and movies right that's we don't watch it to to see stuff that's everyday and you know realistic. We watch it to see stuff that's you know beyond that, right? At least that's what Aristotle yeah, said. Take yourself out of it. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to go with Vikings, which returns this Wednesday, November Ooh. 28th, for the second half of season number five. And they've been splitting up their seasons this way for a while now. There has been a ten month hiatus, believe it or not, but it has returned. I've seen the first two episodes because I cover it for Den of Geek, right. and it is rocking. And Ragnar Lothbrook is a, a simply a distant memory. I say his he's sons, dead, right? his ex-wife. Yes, he is dead. So, spoiler alert. But uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's an old an, spoiler. Anyway, so, yeah. So uh, that's back on the twenty eighth. And if you're into historical dramas, it is absolutely one of the best I have ever seen. So, all right. Yeah, Vikings um, is great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we get to Hill House because we've got a lot to talk about with season one, episode five, The Bent Neck Lady, written by Meredith Averill, who wrote three episodes of Life on Mars. And I knew you were going to ask, and I forgot to look it up, U.S. or U.K., right. and I'm not sure. Uh, also, well, I mean, for the good. I imagine the the U.S. version since she's working on the American show, you know, right? Yeah. And she also writes for The Good Wife and Starcrossed, which uh, I have no idea what that is. Directed by Mike Flanagan, who, as we say each week, directs all 10 episodes. And was pitched for the Orioles. Yes. It's been a while since we said that one, so. All right. Well, this was the second longest episode of the season, only the finale which clocks in at 70 minutes, is longer. This one's 68 minutes. And as good an episode as it is, and you and I have forgotten to give our grades each week, and then I right. Facebook message you, hey, what was your grade? I'm going to say right now, I'm giving this one an A-. minus. I, I think it's a little bit too long. It could have been more tightly edited, but it was really good in what it did so i'm going a minus i i agree um that it i don't think i'm gonna give it anything above an a minus the shock of, of the end um probably the, after the first time i watched it i might have given it maybe even an a plus just from the complete shock of of, of that ending but uh, upon watching it the second time i'm like eh, you know yeah there's it's not wholly perfect there there are and and the length is 
without a doubt, probably the, the number one thing I would say. It's just probably that extra 10, 15 minutes. I don't know what I would necessarily cut out, but there's just seems like stuff you can you can definitely cut out there. Well, yeah, and we'll do what we always do, which is go through virtually scene by scene, and, and we can kind of talk about which scenes maybe ran a little bit too long. But this obviously is Nell's episode, and once you get to the end, and as you say, it, it, it's such a shocking ending, is Bent Neck Lady Nell's future self? I mean, does she see her own death as a child? Yeah. I mean, that's the way I read it. Okay. Yeah. 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 There's no question about that, right? Right. So then that takes us to that scene, and, and we're going to probably jump all around here. It takes us to that scene when Stephen is doing his book tour, and she asks the question. It's not really a question. It's more of a statement. How do you you know, live with yourself taking these people's money when you don't believe? And... You know, we've got the two youngest children, the two twins, that do seem to have some sort of extrasensory power or ability. And then, of course, Theo with her ability. And then the two older ones who are just kind of skeptical, grumpy individuals. And, okay, maybe they justify being grumpy given what they went through. But I don't know. No, you know, the, there's that one scene where Nell is talking to herself and she says, how long are you going to put this off, Nellie? And we, of course, understand she's talking about returning to Hill House. And I, I guess on the one hand, this episode really is about Nell's descent into madness. And you know, we've, we've looked at her brother and his addictions as a reaction to what he experienced at Hill House. And then you go to what her therapist says, how can you give all of this power to a house? And and then it just comes back to, you know, what we've said virtually every week, that this is such a psychological drama, but you can't ignore the abilities at least three of them possess. There, we we have been going back and forth about whether you know this is a you know a, a psychological haunting or a or an actual like you know supernatural haunting. After this episode, I, uh, I'm still not. I, I don't think it's necessarily 100% supernatural, but we definitely cannot discount the supernatural. I mean, there is without a doubt. A supernatural element to this, yeah, without a question. She did well haunt herself. She has been haunting herself her entire life, and for when she, her death, in her death, she goes back in time, basically, uh, you know, where and she, you know, discovers that all these times the the bent neck lady, this thing that haunted her entire life, was herself, like. That, that that's not like i mean that happened right that happened in their former life and, and it happened now so well right but is that extrasensory rather than supernatural i, I mean I, I don't know what the technical definition of supernatural or paranormal is uh, but I, th- I think we all have kind of an idea what we mean when we say supernatural so i i guess still i look at it as psychological 
she sees her own death many times over. And, and of course, that's enough to freak anybody out because we get that scene at the end of the episode when she does go to the house and she sees it as being alive in its full glory. She sees her brothers and sisters at various ages. She's dancing and then we see her dancing and she's by herself. And so, so we know this is what she sees. It's not. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that's why I am a little reluctant to call it supernatural at this point. Uh, well, here's the other thing. As she's dancing and she's going around the circle, we see her siblings, right? Staying around watching her. Yeah. Uh, then all of a sudden, Mr. Dudley's there. And then there's some dude next to Mr. Dudley. Then some other lady next to that dude, and then the tall guy with the bowler hat, and then some lady with red hair and a flapper dress. Those people aren't people that we have seen in any way. That I mean, it seems like they're people from definitely the past, but certainly not Nellie's past. Like, how how could she imagine if it were psychological? Why would she imagine these people she doesn't even know? Well, that's a good question, and the only answer I would have for you would be perhaps through photographs. For instance, the one that Mrs. Dudley shows her of uh, you know the the woman and the and the I guess child that lived there. You know when Nell finds the tea set as a as a six year old. But yeah, I mean that's a good point. Yeah, the, those are all people that that we have never really uh, come into contact yeah. with. But, Just the tall guy, right? So you know. Right. So when we look at Nell and consider what's driven her to this point, I mean, look, of course, the deaths of her husband and her mother can't have helped. But I think more to the point, as we've said a number of times here, witnessing, foretelling, foreseeing your own death a number of times over, starting at the age of six, it's no wonder this didn't happen sooner. Right. But of course, I mean, she didn't. Know, well, I mean, that's the kind of the, the big twist is obviously during her life she had no idea what she was looking at, and then it makes her her death like even that more tragic. You know, like it's bad sure. enough that she like seemingly like it doesn't seem like her suicide was that. You know, I don't think she really killed herself, and even that's what uh, like Luke said that last week, right? Yeah, they said it, it was suicide, or not last week, two weeks, it was like two weeks ago, right? Yeah, when Stephen right. said it was suicide, and, and Luke's like, "No, it wasn't." And I think um, after Theo touched her corpse, I believe that she came to said the same thing, right? That it did she? I can't remember if that was. I, I think so, but but it's that whole twin empathy thing that uh, even her therapist agrees that it really is something and he even he believes in that yeah so that guy's like the worst therapist ever he was (laughs) yes yes go Um, confront the house oh what a smashing idea (laughs) but we do learn that nell has been searching throughout her life steven mentions different phases she's gone through crystals new age antidepressants and and, and of course luke has been searching as well he has just become and and succumbed to drug use but you know again you know we we talked about floating man with him and you know whatever that turns out to be clearly not as haunting as here but but when we say about 
she didn't really kill herself there at the end. Am I misremembering? Doesn't she see her mother push her, kind of? Well, so Olivia kisses her, and then all of a sudden she's she drops. All right, she, she's dangling on the edge there. You know, so, yeah, it's you almost that like... camera shot of her feet. Right, so it's almost like... Like Olivia kisses her, and the next, you know, she's like, boom, at the bottom of her drop. So, so, so I, I mean, is it maybe to be interpreted that she sees her mother having pushed her to this act? Even though, as you said, and I agree with you, that she doesn't really realize what it is she's doing there at the end with the rope around her neck that we see. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. That's supernatural element. Um, we've had two other people already say she didn't kill herself, and now we see it. Like it doesn't really seem like she did. Like I think the 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 house as a like supernatural entity is that's that's like a thing. I think here. Yeah. Well, why don't we go back to the Hill House segment because something that occurs early on really fits in well to what we're talking about here, and. It's the first night at Hill House. Nell wakes, sees the bent neck lady hovering over her bed. The lady screams. She screams. And her father says, well, that's a new one. Sort of implying that this is not the first time that Nell claims that she sees something. Good point. Now, I, I, I completely missed that line, but yeah. So, you know, I don't know what these things that she's seen are because you know we we don't get any more clarity there but uh, it still doesn't take away from the fact that we go to the ending and we know that bent neck lady is right nell at her death but well i mean kids see you know kids have you know i mean kids do have active imaginations and they you know they do wake up screaming in the middle of the night you know saying that they think something's there or you know something like that and everything I mean that's a that's a you know, I think a very common thing, but uh, but but yeah, but we don't know what it was previously that she saw. So uh, the now comparison of the bent neck lady uh, to her previous you know quote unquote hauntings, you know, it's, it's we we can't we don't know what that comparison is there. Right. Now, you know, we've talked about the transitions that the directors or the director has used each week. And, and I've said that I think they're maybe a little bit overdone or maybe maybe too obvious. But I thought the transitions in this episode were really well done where we would transition from the story into the fact that it was actually a therapy session in which she was talking to her therapist. So I, I really did like that. And one of the first ones we get is that whole scene with her mom and the locket. I, I, I guess I feel like the locket must be important, but um, kind of grasping at straws for what it really is. Well, that's you know there's I mean? actually a couple things that we we see the object first, and we're like, am I supposed to know the significance of that? And then we learn the significance of it later. And the locket is one. Um, the bench, she's sitting out there looking at the bench. We're like, why is she looking at the bench? Holding the the pocket watch, which again, we're like, well, what's with the pocket watch? I haven't seen that one before. So there's all these things that we kind of, the, the show as- ascribes importance to the 
object first, and we learn of its importance later, which was kind of a neat way of of doing things. I think a little bit there, but Olivia the you know, puts the locket around Nell's neck when she's in Hill House, and then um, you know, and and then all of a sudden she finds herself on the other side of the railing. Right. So, I mean, is it because it's a locket and you wear lockets around your neck, it perhaps ties into the f- fact that she eventually is going to hang herself? Well, also, it's, you know, a locket is something to, like, kind of, you know, keep your kids with you. And, you know, like, you get pictures of when they're kids and you could wear it all the time. And there's, like, you know, like, and your kids are kind of with you and... And they're young forever, like a picture or something like that. So, Well, you know, Mrs. Dudley shows herself to be a totally different individual than we've seen earlier. And I'm referring to the scene where Nell finds the tea set. What would you think about that cup of stars story that she tells her? Yeah. Um, well, whenever you're in a big creepy house, you need you know backstory. You need to know about the people who were there before. And so for her to be playing with a playset of someone who, I mean, we don't know whether this girl died young or older or whatever, um, but, uh, you know, obviously is no longer with us. It's always kind of like adds a little bit of creep factor to it. Right. But Mrs. Dudley tells Nell, and this is what really surprised me, after Nell tells her, well, I'm not allowed to have fragile things because I break them and, and this sure looks fragile. And Mrs. Dudley tells her to insist on your cup of stars. And she seems to be telling Nell to insist on being yourself yeah. and not let others trap her. Right. And we learn what Stephen does for a living. We know what Theo does for a living. We know what Shirley does. Obviously, Luke is an addict. What does Nell do? Yeah, I was wondering that. Because she's got a decent car, you know? Yeah. So, So, obviously, she married somebody that had a job. Right. But she's washing the cup, and that's when Olivia bursts in and, you know, come in here right now. And... I I really love Theo as a youngster because she's just always the voice of reason. Yeah. I believe her. And well, we're tearing all this wallpaper down anyway. Yeah. So what difference does it make? Exactly. Well, you can see that Olivia is suffering from another migraine. And so it's just, yeah, just not having it. I guess, and and you know, in Fred's feedback, he he brings up the story with the kittens again, and we'll we'll get to that when we listen to his feedback. But you know, and and I'm not going to discount the severity of her migraine. And again, we don't know the exact circumstances of Olivia's death yet, so we've still got that out there, but they peel aside a piece of that wallpaper now we see the bigger picture that it doesn't just say Nell it says come home Nell yeah right well and then at the end of the episode it's further ripped aside to see welcome home Nell right 
But the English teacher and me, of course, noticed that it was missing the comma. A comma, right. For Come the home, comma, address. Nell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, well. But, uh, but yeah, but certainly, and, and I know it had to uh, cause you to think of Doctor Who and Blink. Absolutely. And, and all the things that the doctor had written in the wall in that creepy old house. Yes. West of Drumlins. Yep. Now, talking about creepy, we, we see Hugh, and he takes the kids to that, that motel, tells them he's going back for Olivia, and of course, the kids have no idea, and I thought that was great after he leaves, and they're just talking amongst themselves, well, what did you see? I don't know. You know, Dad woke me up and carried me down, and, and they really have no idea but then Luke says, well, we were in the Red Room having a tea party with Abigail and Mommy. And Nell says, that wasn't Mommy. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what to really think about that. Who was it then? Well, or was it their mother just not being herself, whatever that actually means? Yeah, um, well, and, and you know, we saw in episode one as um, Hugh is carrying Stephen out, and Stephen, of course, looks back, and we see what appears to be Olivia in a white dress chasing after them in a crazy fashion. Well, yeah, was it like Olivia, but she went crazy and was like not herself? Well, and once he comes back to the motel and. I can't remember whether Nell was, I think she was the only one that was not sleeping and he clearly has blood all over him and he yeah. tells her it's paint. So, uh, you know, we've speculated, did she shoot herself? Whatever she did, clearly there was a lot of blood involved and we see the police cars whizzing by and one pulls up into the parking lot and, and you know, he mentions to Nell that he's the one that, called them and he's going to go answer questions but pretty frightening and, and of course as you mentioned that's where the pocket watch uh, question is answered for us yeah so luth so. says they're having a tea party he says that mommy that he says she fell to the floor or she fell on the floor so okay again that doesn't tell us much either anyway yeah so what she shot what happened yeah we don't know but so yeah well, well, you know, and I all obviously migraines are related to the brain, I would think, or, you know, again, I'm not a doctor, but uh, I, I would think that maybe if you had a migraine that was just excruciating, it might even cause you to grab your head, fall to the floor. And, and of course, we see right. Arthur die of an aneurysm. Yes. And I started thinking like, mm. All right, are those two related somehow? Well, okay, but if it was an aneurysm, there wouldn't be all this blood. So, right. At this point, we can't explain the blood. No. So, all right, well, but it's definitely not amidst, paint. Oh, right, right. Now, amidst all of this horror, I I just really loved the scenes with Nell and Arthur. And and that's what makes this so heartbreaking because, you know, we know what Nell has gone through and, and there's just something not really pitiful about her, but, but kind of. And Arthur, 
I don't know how she could have found a nicer guy. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's so, it is very, very sad. Um, you know, well, I mean, it's sweet, but sad because e- even the first time I saw this, you know, we had mentioned before how Arthur really isn't around in Nell's future, right? We don't see him until this episode. Um, right, so we don't know whether they got divorced or exactly right. Something we don't else. exactly we don't know what happened, but we we feel like Arthur is not a part of her future. So watching this, yeah, you know, I guess the first time I was expecting, like you said, that they ended up being divorced. That Nell started talking about ghosts and acting crazy, and he left her. You know, um, I was not expecting him to drop dead. Uh, so no, the, not not at all. And then when you go back and watch it the second time. It's just so un- almost unbearably sad uh, to watch this. I mean, it's nice, but the sense of grief that overhangs that whole part is just—it's just terrible. You know, if you you know what's going to happen to Arthur, it's just you know so like really just very very moving and tough. But so I, I go back to the first time I saw it. And like you said, you appreciate it for the sweetness that it is. It's really nice. Uh, Fred will talk about the inappropriateness of their initial meeting. But, and I agree with Fred on that 100%. But certainly their relationship was great. The way he asked her to to marry him was very classy and cool. Uh, You know, their wedding was was great and nice. We already had seen the wedding. So, um, you know, it just all then falls apart when he just drops dead. I can't remember what Fred said about the inappropriateness of their meeting because I, I mean, I get that the do- doctor patient. And of course he says, no, yeah. I'm not a doctor. I'm a sleep technician, but, but still you're a professional, right? Like, well, I, right. I understand that, but, but she's kind of the one that approaches out. it. Right. But I, I love the miscommunication. It, it's almost one of those meet cute moments where, He's simply filling out the survey, do you drink coffee? <laughs> and she thinks he's asking her out. And then whether he was really planning to or not, we don't know. Clearly, she liked him. I think you could tell that. Regardless, he tells her, oh, I was going to wait till the end of the session to ask you out for coffee. And then they pretty much fast track the relationship, which is certainly a good idea. And we see them watching Hitchcock's To Catch a Thief. And I had planned to look up what the significance might be. Fortunately, Fred has done that for us. So we'll let yeah. him talk about that in, in his feedback. Fred is really making but, me lazy. Cause like, I just like, yeah. like I was watching that. I'm like, Oh, I wonder what movie that is. I'm like, ah, oh, Fred will find it. <laughs> so Fred, thank you so much. But you, you, uh, you, you make, you make our job that much easier. Appreciate it. Right. Right. Now, you know, you mentioned how he proposes with the ring and the champagne, and that was that was wonderful. And then more scenes from the wedding. Uh, I, I again, I just love the scene when Nell's dancing with Stephen and the two of them are watching Shirley, who's watching Theo dance with the bridesmaid. And they're just laughing because they yeah. can tell that Cheryl's not on board with Theo's yeah. choice. But she's not quite putting it together right like yeah um it's funny when she does she actually kind of like like rolls her eyes her head a little bit as she goes to to say something to kevin it's just funny 
very funny how they acted that scene out. But, uh, you know, I guess Shirley is kind of, I mean, we, we see her uh, as being kind of the, um, I don't want to call her the stick in the mud, but, you know, probably the more conservative of them, uh, the more certainly, um, just looking for the wrong, like dogmatic's not the word I'm looking for either, but, you know, like very, you know, I mean, just that scene where she basically is like, no, we're not taking your money, Stephen, and neither is anyone else, right? Right. Um, Well, right. Yeah, and we talked about that at the time, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, she, you know, clearly, I I don't know, it seems like she's, you know, kind of got a tough interior to her, but uh, it doesn't, I don't think she would like, I don't, I don't know. They almost make it seem like she's, she's not that she's disapproving of it, but that's that she's not wrapping her head around it, I think is, is the, the thing for her. Right. But you know, part of the problem is that there's this huge gap of time that we have no idea what really transpired. I mean, we see the kids, at Hill House, and then we see them as adults, and we don't have any idea what their lives were like growing up. I mean, I, I, you're absolutely right. She does come across the way you described, as does Stephen. And he's been accused a number of times by certain siblings of only being in it for the money. And we see that with Nell tonight. I just think it's unfair to judge those two older children until we get a more complete picture. And I don't know how complete a picture we're going to get, but uh, I'm going to leave it there at at this point. Okay. So we get to that scene where they tell us it's eight months later. She's having another episode, you know, in bed with the sleep paralysis he gets up to help, and that's, of course, the scene where he collapses with his neck bent. And yeah. then Nell sees the lady against the light of the window. He was dead, and she was back, she tells her therapist. Right. I don't know what to make of that. I, I, you know, We talked at the beginning of the podcast about the supernatural versus psychological. That certainly had a paranormal supernatural feel to it for me yeah well the first time we see it of course we're kind of with her like oh well yeah it seems like the the bent neck lady somehow caused arthur's death um but when we find out at the end that nell is the bent neck lady we realize that the two were probably not really interconnected at all except for she showed up at that moment because arthur was going to die I think just as she showed up that first night that that she was that Nell was in the house, um, the same reason she showed up when you know uh, Luke was uh, shooting up in her car next to her, uh, the same reason yeah. she showed up when um, you know Nellie is in the the hallway of the hotel. Uh, it just seems to be these kind of uh, pivotal slash traumatic moments from her life that the bent neck lady reappears in. Yeah, and she says that the bent neck lady killed him. So does she feel subconsciously that she killed her husband, even though we know it was an aneurysm that that she just can't 
accept right, that, that. That the like the bed neck that he was trying to get to her and zapped Arthur instead, something like that. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, you mentioned Luke shooting up in the car with her, and, and that's a scene uh. where we, we got the pouring rain. And I got to tell you, unless I miss something, there's no rebirth in this scene. We often associate rain yeah. with being perhaps a little bit too obvious a symbolic well, reaction. Except for in James Joyce's uh, short story, The Dead, when the okay. rain is I don't know that story. Okay. What? Well, I, I know. Dude. We've talked about a number of heartbreaking scenes in this episode. When he asks her to uh, go buy heroin for her, yeah, uh, for him, I, I, I'm just stunned. I felt like hitting pause on my remote. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. And I guess the two of them were so close that I know it's uh, you know, whatever. I feel your pain. And I'm going to do it anyway, even though I know it's the absolute wrong thing to do. And he keeps using the phrase, help me get well. Yeah, yeah. Get my heroin so I can get well, so then I can go into rehab. Dude, right. what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, not, you know, being a, a heroin addict. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I understand. I guess I understand what they mean, you know, like, like when you're addicted to a drug, when you aren't on it, that's the worst. You, you're sick. You, 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 you feel sick. You feel as we, uh, as we saw last week with Luke, right. Um, when he experiences withdrawal, he gets physically very ill. You know, the, the idea of getting well is to not feel that, those symptoms of withdrawal for a little bit, you know, it's like time delaying the inevitable, right? Well, and, and I understand that. I, I guess what hit me so hard about this scene is that number one, he plays the, well, I believed you card from when yeah, she right. told him about that, the bent neck lady as blow, children. Yeah. Right. And buy me the drugs and I'll listen to you shoots up in the car it's raining hard and I, again it one of those things that i'm not sure what to make of it but the wipers on the car providing that rhythm right before she sees bent neck lady and then transitions into another therapy session so i'm not sure what the wiper blades were really supposed to represent but i don't i don't i don't know but um yeah. well it's you know, kind of like the um you know how how things aren't clear in the rain. I think maybe you know, like how rain makes it difficult to perceive things. Um, and then she sees the bent neck lady. So you know, I guess this comes back to what we talked about at the beginning. Like, is this you know how where 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 are we in her perceptions here of the bent neck lady? The first time we see this, it just seems like she's being haunted by this uh, malevolent ghost. At the end, when we see it's herself that is appearing to herself. I mean, like you said, do we question, you know, her, 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 just her basic perceptions here? Well, I guess what bothers me the most is that 
he goes on about the twin thing, as does she at time. I guess it's really mostly her about the twin thing. But he apparently is clueless that she's going through something that, and I get it, that he's strung out on drugs and, and he's not thinking clearly. But I guess I see it as such a one-sided relationship at this point, which is, I guess, just really difficult for me to accept. I mean, I, I, I feel sorry for Luke. I, I, I understand what has driven him to this point. But still, that said... Theo comes to L.A. to visit Nell. Right. And what's the first thing she asks her sister to do? Touch the pillow. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, I mean, I understand. Yeah. As does Theo, but. But but Theo is appalled. She's like, I told you I, I don't want to do it. And and Nell is just. At, so, yeah, you're right. It's It's the same thing that kind of Luke did to her. Like he had this other agenda. Hey, can you just drive me over there? You know, just oh, hey, while you're in my apartment, why don't you come over here and touch the pillow? And then you know, she physically takes Theo's hand and shoves it in the spot where Arthur died, um, which Theo is just completely horrified by that. Yeah, and, and I think justifiably so. Yeah, at first I thought you know maybe that's a little harsh a reaction, but no. Yeah, well, especially when you're the person who has to feel these things, right? Like, I mean, Theo can't get away from this. That's why she wears the gloves. You know, she can't, like, touch something or someone and not, you know, see what she sees. So it's, you know, to to ask her to go through that, to to feel, to experience someone's death is is rough. And, and you know what? And Nell is we haven't mentioned this yet she's totally off her meds and she keeps telling people that she isn't but like you know both the doctor theo and steven all ask her are you still taking your meds and she lies to all three of them right because we see her dump them into the toilet yeah which is not how you dispose of prescription drugs kitties don't do that yep now I mentioned Stephen's book tour and how she interrupts it. And on the one hand, the fact that she says, how do you charge these people $30? Well, these people are probably thinking like, oh, my God, I'm more than getting my money's worth on this $30 as they watch the two of them go at it. Because the one woman immediately recognizes who she is. But that line, you're supposed to be my big brother. You're supposed to protect me. I think it goes back to that period that we really don't know what happened so that the relationship with Hugh is strained for some of the children. Clearly Stephen may and Shirley maybe more than anybody. Nell seems to be okay communicating with him, but his reaction, well, you embarrassed me. This is my job. Did you hear what she just said? Well, it's been six years. Why are you doing this now? Um, I, I just—I mean, yeah. Stephen's a hard guy to like. Yeah. He, yes. Absolutely. And and the the show has been taking pains to you know make him unlikable, or it's certainly very self centered. But we get the idea also that, and, and I think he he said this before. You know, 
he's got people to take care of. He's got a wife to take care of, you know, like, like, and they're begrudge. So like, in the one hand, it's like his siblings are begrudging him his ability to make money, right? He found something he can make money on. But on the other hand, he also is, as Nellie points out, he's, you know, profiting from her trauma. But uh, he certainly, uh, you know, instead of listening to his sister, uh, and we know his sister's desperately crying for help at this point, um, all he can think about is is himself. That's not cool. Okay. Well, now, you know, when Nell is in that motel room, you know, she she. We, we see her on her computer and, and we know she's booking a ticket to go to Boston. Why does she see Luke rather than bent neck lady? Yeah. Up on the ceiling. Yeah. Is that just the twin thing? Does she recognize that, you know, maybe he's going through something at that moment and that overpowers bent neck lady? Because really we don't hear about any other visions other than bent neck lady just says with Luke, we don't really hear about anything other than the floating man. Right. So yeah, that's yeah. No, no clue why, why she sees Luke on the ceiling. Um, yeah. Except as you said, I think we know that there's this connection, this twin thing. Um, other than that, I don't know. Okay. Well, we get the classic. I, I don't know how they could do this any better. She drives up to Hill House in the middle of the night. Now, uh, Fred's final question is, why does she go to Hill House in the night rather than the day? I don't really have an answer. I mean, I've really thought about it. And and the only thing I can really come up with is that she's trying to approximate the time of that night when they all fled the house. Beyond that, I don't really know. Well, I think part of it is she she can't sleep because she slept during the whole day. So now she's wide awake. Her mind is racing. She goes out for a, a water, sees the bent neck lady, now is resolved to confront the house. Now, I mean, she might very well have been planning on going the next day, but now she's up and wired, and, and so she's kind of resolved to, to go and do this now. Uh, the, on a more practical level, I'd say – it would make a really crappy horror television show had she gone during the day. Well, you know, that was one of my first thoughts was that from a narrative perspective, it, it you have to do it this way. And right. the other thing that comes up is that she calls her dad before she goes in. Right. Ostensibly, I guess to say goodbye. Does she know what she's going to do i mean we talked again at the beginning that standing on the ledge there whether or not she actually knows that she's about to kill herself and i'm not really clear and i think you agree that that she really is aware of that so why does she call her father why does she say i'm at home in bed which technically i guess isn't a lie even though she's not in bed but but we we understand right. that she doesn't want him to know that she's outside the gate of Hill House. She just really, I mean, I, I think the, the basic thing is here, she just doesn't really have a plan, like, at all. Like, she's just, I think, is kind of 
flying by the seats of her pants. I think she, like I said, that she suddenly decides to go and confront the house in the middle of the night. I don't think she calls her dad to say goodbye because I don't think, I, I firmly believe that even at, at no point in this did she intend to die. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, and I believe that. I mean, she goes, I think, just to simply confront her demons, fully expecting to then leave and go back to her motel room. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but the, the house well, once the, lights once up. Once the porch light. Yeah, the porch right. light goes twice, right? Yep. And, and she walks into that main foyer, and it's in full regalia. And then we see the house for what it has become not not the way that she sees it and i thought that was done really well they would just occasionally flash to the reality of what hill house had become Uh not the way she saw it right and i I really like the fact that she would encounter various family members including her mom who as you said is writing on the wall welcome home nell you know, and again, like as we said before, it's you know the question of because we know she's off her meds, so the the hallucinating this stuff is is quite possibly a thing. But then I'm saying, why would she hallucinate people that, to our knowledge, she doesn't even know who they are, and they might not even be people. But again, like you actually you said before, that actually is a a reasonable explanation. She might have seen pictures of them growing up in this house, and so or not really growing up because she's only six when they left, right? Um, so yeah. she might have seen pictures and, and is able to then picture these people because she's seen them in pictures. So, you know, that, that's a possibility, but uh, it's just, well, it, you know, it, it's kind of like the whole thing mirrors the scene we saw with Arthur because she's kind of happy at this point, right? She sees her her family. She sees Arthur again. She dances with him. There's a beautiful song playing. She kisses him. All this is just like we're kind of like it's back to like before because like the whole thing right right but you know what the i don't want to call it a deal breaker but we see abigail right well that's luke's that's not hers well apparently it is hers now well now we go back to is it psychological right. or paranormal I, I i don't know and i you know i think that was the point you were making is that it does kind of float between the two so yeah yeah it absolutely um, floats between the two but i, I definitely i think we cannot deny the that i, I mean the obvious beyond obvious, the the supernatural element to it because without a doubt she did go back in time and haunt herself like that that's a thing that's the thing she shared with herself throughout her whole life as well as yeah it's a good point that that abigail's there right that was luke's uh make-believe friend how does nelly see her yeah so wow well anything else you want to bring up before we listen to what fred has to say um oh so we saw theo touch Nellie's corpse. So is this what she saw? Right? Everything okay. that we saw here, uh, uh, is that what Theo saw? Oh, do you, you mean that that uh, she ends up like hanging herself? or Yeah, it was just the whole thing of, of Nellie going into Hill House. Did Theo see all of that? 
Because remember, she's like just curls up and is screaming at the end of it. What? I didn't really think about that. I, I, wow. I, I guess on the one hand, it begs the question as a psychologist herself, why she would not talk to her sister about that, given that each believes that the other has this, you know, paranormal ability, this extrasensory ability, so that it wouldn't be something like, oh, yeah, whatever why she wouldn't mention that but i guess on the other hand how do you tell right. your sister that yeah. i i just saw your death true ah wow powerful stuff all right well let's hear what fred has to say about this week's episode hello dave and wayne this is fred from the netherlands with feedback for the hunting of hill house season one episode five. First off i want to go back to the previous podcast where it seemed that Dave didn't understand what I meant about killing the fifth kitten in relation to Olivia's sanity. Dave had said in the episode 2 podcast, I think the incident with her killing the fifth kitten says more on her impending insanity than the migraine. Sorry Dave, but from this I drew the conclusion that in your opinion the killing of the fifth kitten is a sign of insanity. Well, Wayne actually hit the nail on the head in understanding what I meant. Wayne said, Is it not more merciful to just put the thing out of its misery? It was immediately clear to me that trying to raise these kittens on cow milk and no electric blanket or something like that to keep them warm, it would terribly fail. And after seeing four of them already die, and the fifth is just gasping, I know what I would do. Dave said in the episode 4 podcast, killing the fifth kitten, that's pretty big, to be able to do something like that. You could at least release the kitten into the wild and let it die on its own. Well, Dave, talking about pretty big. So, in conclusion... Killing the gasping little poor fifth kitten is not a sign of impending insanity, but of compassion. Okay, about my trip to Germany. When I recorded uh, early last week, because I would be in Germany during the weekend, Dave warned me and sent me a, a Facebook direct message saying, have fun and stay away from Winden. Well, I was closer to the non-existing town of Winden as I had anticipated. At the birthday party of my father-in-law, my wife's 24-year-old nephew from Berlin was also there, and I found out that he knows one of the actors who plays in Dark, the series you previously had a podcast about. He knows Gwendolyn Goebel, who plays the 1953 version of Claudia Tiedemann. She is 12 years and comes from an actor's family. Her brother, and I believe even another sibling, are also young actors. The mother of Gwendolyn is a friend of the mother of my wife's nephew's girlfriend. In the episode 3 podcast, you were saying, We've seen that whole creepy door handle turning, and and their door handles in and of themselves are pretty darn creepy with those lions or whatever they are on there. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand why people build these things in houses. 
Like they're creepy, you know, like it's not, I don't think they're any creepier now than they were then. I think they're probably even, might have even been creepier back then. Like why do people build these things? Like the statues. Why are there so many statues there, Dave? It's, it's ridiculous. You have this big creepy house and you're going to populate with statues. Are you kidding me? No, I agree. I agree. I disagree. I think these handles are so, so beautiful as well as the statues. It gives the house such an aristocratic atmosphere, but not in a rigid formal way, but in a more artful way. Same is true for the library. On a much smaller and of course a cheaper scale, I also have such statues in my garden. One of the themes, by the way, of these statue groups could be Lida and the Swan, a major theme from Orphan Black. About travelers, it was nice to hear in your last podcast that you will stick to your original plan to start podcasting about travelers as soon as it starts on December the 14th, and you are not going to wrap up the hunting of Hill House within the remaining three weeks, as Doc Crabtree suggested on the Facebook page. Okay, what about the new episode, episode five? They shouldn't have called the episode The Bent Neck Lady, (laughs) but they should have called it The Bent Necked Nelly. But of course, that would have been an enormous spoiler. It was a long episode, 70 minutes, almost the longest of this first season. Only the season finale is one minute longer. There are so many topics that it would take at least another 50 minutes to discuss them all. I'm sure a lot of them will be addressed by you. So I'll just pick a few. First topic, the contrast in the family interactions in their youth as compared to their adulthood. If you see how much fun Stephen and Nellie have at Nellie and Arthur's wedding in observing how long it would take Shirley to discover that Tilio is gay, in contrast to the fight they have at Stephen's book presentation. Also, Tio is always helping Nellie when they are young, but she abandons her After Arthur's death, I think the grandkids really grew apart. Second topic, Nellie and Arthur. Let's start with their love story. It was very enjoyable and you could almost feel the butterflies in your own belly. Very tragic how it ended. Nothing that Nellie had deserved. With her nightly anxieties, he really was the perfect partner for her. One nitpick from a medical standpoint. Arthur, Arthur, having a relationship with one of your patients and even from the first appointment onward, not very professional. These kind of professional attitude restrictions are not only for doctors, you know. Perhaps the makers of the show didn't want him to be a full doctor for that reason, but these kinds of standards do apply to all health workers. When Nellie and Arthur watch a film and start kissing, the film in the background is the 1955 To Catch a Thief by Alfred Hitchcock, with Grace Kelly and Cary Grant. I think the makers of the series wanted to make a tribute to the master of suspense, being Alfred Hitchcock. Funny thing about this is that in the previous series you podcasted about, Primeval Season 1, there was also a tribute to a Hitchcock film, namely The Birds. When I watched To Catch the Thief, a little bit, one and a half minute later than the scene they used for The Hunting of Hill House, Francis Stevens, played by Grace Kelly, walks into a room with a creepy kind of backlight. I immediately thought 
without having seen uh, what happens in uh, The Hunting of Hill House, that would be a kind of shot and a lightning that could nicely fit into a horror series like Hill House. And what happened seven minutes later? Indeed, a shot that was quite similar. And that was the bent-necked lady in front of the window. I posted some screenshots already on the Facebook page. Third topic, you. Everybody is happy at Nelly's wedding. But what is wrong with you? He clearly doesn't look happy. What is bothering him? I really hope for a you episode next time, so that we get more an idea what makes him ticking. Fourth topic, psychological or supernatural? I see the both of you bounce between psychological horror and supernatural horror. I'm still quite on the psychological side. Why would we otherwise see Nelly dance in the empty, abandoned house, whereas she imagines that she's dancing with Arthur? Fifth topic, bent-necked moments. Is the appearance of the bent-necked lady, of which we now know it is Nelly herself, not meant to frighten younger Nelly, but actually to try to warn herself and try to change the chain of events? Last question for the both of you. Why did Nelly drive to Hill House by night and not in the daytime? Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, well, Fred wants to bring up my uh, kitten comments again. And <laughs> and Fred, I, I, I get what you're saying, but, but here, I guess, is my thought process, is that I know she suffers from severe migraine headaches, and, and I know they can be debilitating. I also would say that there's no indication that olivia grew up on a farm okay so just bear with me a second um i I get what you're saying fred that this was the kind thing to do but if i was in this situation with my wife the absolute last thing that my wife or any woman that i know would be to take the kitten out back and kill it with my bare hands, apparently. Clearly, Hill House is not that far removed from other places. Why would you not just take it to a vet? Why would you not just... I, I just To kill it with your bare hands, I, I, I just can't let that go. I mean, to me, that says something about an individual that can do that as opposed to if you want to do the kind thing take it to the vet have the vet put it down but that's all i'm going to say about that (laughs) to reference another movie all right so fred uh brings up some cool stuff about his stay in germany and uh his relative's connection to one of the actors in Wind right. in, in uh, Dark. I so felt like that, it was like was... space, you know, that scene in Spaceballs? You've seen Spaceballs, right? Uh, it's been a long time. <clears throat> he says like, I'm your brother's cousin's nephew's former roommate. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, what does that make us? Absolutely nothing. Uh, so. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Um now, Fred brings up the thing about the, I mentioned the door handles and uh, yeah, Fred, I agree. They are beautiful, beautifully creepy. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll leave it like, well, and, and I love the, the this is like, first of all, they, 
They are, yes, they are beautiful in a real life house. I'd probably think they were awesome in a haunted house in a horror TV show. They are awful. <laughs> They're just creepy, and there's no one, not one person, who can watch the Doctor Who episode of Blink, which we mentioned before, and look at this statue the same afterwards. Yep, no question. Yep, no question. All right, now, Fred brings up the contrast in the family and, and the way they re- you know interact with each other in their childhood as opposed to the adulthood. And I, I guess I would go back to what I've said a couple times. We've got this huge gap during which we have absolutely no idea what happened. And while... As I said a minute ago, Stephen has been really unlikable most of the time. As Fred points out, the scene at the wedding when he and Nellie are dancing and, and watching uh, Theo with the bridesmaid, that, that was just gold. That, that was uh, just great. But then, of course, we have the scene at the bookstore. So what transpired even in, in those couple of years well i think arthur died and that changed everything you know things were going pretty well for nelly and then he died and then everything just went terrible for her um which is exacerbated by her not taking her medicine right which makes things uh even worse right now you know, he mentions the fact that Theo has always helped Nell, and, and, and that's true. I mean, again, we see the, the scene with uh, the writing on the wall as children and Theo stepping in for her and stepping up for her. Does she abandon her after Arthur's death? Again, we don't really know what happened. No, we do. So We saw it. What, no, I mean about why... You know, like Fred's implying that Theo abandoned yeah. Nellie she, after they, Arthur's they, desk. They, yeah, well, they, they tell us in, I guess, episode two. Am I forgetting? Well, you know, um, Theo, they, they say something about Nell. They're talking about Nell. And, and Theo mentions how she, I haven't talked to her since, since we went to L.A. We haven't spoken. And then we see the scene that clearly is the reason why they haven't spoken, um, because you know Nell, you know, tries to force Theo to to touch the place where Arthur was, um, oh, which just oh, leads to course. this general argument where they say things that are hurtful. Each of them say things to each other that are very hurtful, and which then causes a you know a rift where Theo does okay. abandon her, uh, but it's because of what they say to each other in that apartment. Right. And, and, you know, I I think I might have mentioned this in one of the previous podcasts. I love the way the timeline is all over the place. It can be maddening at times, but it can, you know, really be uh, really enlightening at times. So, yeah, that's absolutely. Fred points out in a little bit more detail about the problem with having a relationship with your patient. And I certainly can't disagree with anything fred says there from a narrative perspective it's a you know it probably would have been better if they met some other way but yeah 
Uh, still, now, uh, I'm glad Fred brings up the 1955 Hitchcock film To Catch a Thief and, and Grace Kelly and Cary Grant and goes into a little bit of an explanation. He, he notices some uh, similarities between camera shots, which obviously Fred has <laughs> done a great yeah. job. Well, I mean, uh, the, the, the one... Great. The the one camera shot was the scene from the movie, and then you know the scene from the movie being shown on a television screen in, in dark. So that one doesn't count. The other one, like I'm not. Sh- I mean, yes, there's definitely a some similarity there, but I just think that backlit the person staying in a doorway being backlit, especially for like you know, because cre- it, it adds this aura. I mean, it literally puts an aura around the person. Um, it makes it difficult to see the person's face. Uh, it's really good for, you know, using to create mystery, suspense, uh, seduction even. Uh, I'm just not necessarily seeing that as a homage there. That, that shot. They, they are, uh, the, but Fred, you nailed it. Yes, they, they, they are very similar. I just, I'm not sure that they're making a shout out to, to uh, Hitchcock on that as that's a very, very common shot. All right. Um, he brings up Hugh at Nell's wedding and points out that everybody was happy except him. And, you know, I, I wonder if he's, and, and Fred provides the, the picture from the, uh, from the episode, a screen cap. Yeah. I wonder if he's looking at his children and just thinking, despite me, they turned out all right. Or, I wish I wasn't estranged from my two oldest children. Or, you know, or I, I, I wish lines. Olivia were here. Oh, she is. She's got her hand on my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, uh, you know, then, of course, uh, Fred brings up what we've been talking about, the psychological or supernatural. And Fred says he's still on the psychological side. And, and I think if we we're assigning percentages... Yeah, absolutely. It leans heavily that way. But I think that's the beauty of Haunting of Hill House is that we're still not quite sure. Um, pretty sure. Okay. For the All aforementioned right. reasons that I will not repeat right. herein. Okay. Um, and then, and you, I guess, have alluded to this several times during the course of tonight's podcast because he says, is the appearance of the bent neck lady actually trying to warn her and change the chain of events? Um, you kind of feel like it is. I, no, I think no, I from think what so, I because she, no, you know, in this moment of death, she's suddenly thrown back into these moments of her life. She has, doesn't even have an opportunity to, to warn herself. All she can do is, the one time say no 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 and then at the the last time which for little nell is the first time all she can do is scream when she realizes what's going on so she doesn't even really get a chance to to say hey leave this house and never come back definitely don't ever come back as an adult you know but so i, I don't think it's there as a warning i just think it's like this this tragic last moment you know I feel like I can't really count out, you know, Nellie's being all the way dead. Though, you know, I mean, yeah, I guess her 
sister did take all her organs out and everything, so that's tough to come back from from that one. But uh, you know, I, I one other thing that we didn't talk like I just I feel like there is, like I said, I mean the house seems to be a, a, this malevolent spirit, or or there's something inside the house that is malevolent. Um, it feels like there's some force that is you know bringing Nell to this place, right? Like yeah, Nell. We said it, like the we're perplexed by her decisions, especially the one to go at night. But is she making that decision one hundred percent on her own? You know, or is she? Is there some outside force that is compelling her to do some of these things? So, all right, cool. Anything else? Um, I don't think so. Okay. All right, well, Fred, thank you, as always. Glad you made it back from Germany and your uh, birthday party. Can't wait to hear from you next week. But that is going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. We'd love to hear what you think about Hill House, Dark, Travelers, which is coming up, anything else in genre TV. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails, as always, can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can get on the website. And we'll be back next week to take a look at Episode 6 of Netflix's horror series, The Haunting of Hill House, titled Two Storms. But until then... You know, Dave, I know what's bothered you, man. The problem is you haven't confronted your past. <laughs>